Hey, everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further faster. I'm Andy Stanley. And before we jump into today's content, I wanted to tell you about a special offer from our friends at Belay. Now, if you're like me, you want your organization to grow, but growth brings complexity, and complexity is the enemy of pretty much everything in organizational life. And of course, one of the most complex things we deal with as leaders is hiring. And as we grow, we need to hire. Uh, This is especially true in today's business climate. So we are always looking for the right people. And at times we wonder if the right people even exist. And I'm sure you feel the same way. And if they do exist, how in the world are we gonna find them? And that's where our friends at Belay can help. So whether you're looking for highly vetted US-based virtual assistants, um, bookkeepers, Uh, social media strategists, or even website specialists, more than likely, Belay can connect you with who you are looking for. So to help you get started, Belay is offering their CEO's latest book, Rise Up and Lead Well, for free. And in it, she shares her journey from admin assistant, get this, to CEO of the company. This ebook is available through Amazon, but as a special promotion for our listeners, you can get it for free today. Just text the word Andy to 55123. That's A-N-D-Y to 55123 to receive your free copy today. And now let's jump into today's content. Again, I'm excited this month because we have back in the studio my good friend Tim Elmore, Dr. Tim Elmore, and we're talking about the eight paradoxes of great leadership. This is out of his brand new book, The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. As I mentioned last time, Tim presented this content to our staff. It was so good. It sparked so much conversation. And I came up to him afterwards. I said, we've got to get this content out to our podcast listeners. So welcome back, Tim. Thanks, Andy. Great to be with you. For those of you who don't know, um, not only are Tim and I great friends, he's the president and founder of Growing Leaders. He's a best-selling author and international speaker, a world-renowned expert on Generation Y and Generation Z. And Tim spends most of his time equipping leaders, educators, coaches, parents to impart really practical leadership skills to the next generation, to young adults, but along with some of us older adults as well. And I just want to say, as I did last time, if you teach leadership or you're looking for tools to help teach your leaders to be better leaders, nothing comes close. And I mean, nothing comes close to Tim's habitudes. And these are little books that are icon driven. And they, again, this is this works for high school students, college students, adults. These icon-driven leadership lessons are absolutely fabulous. And you can find those on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Those are called his habitudes. Um, But today we're talking about his brand new book. And this book revolves around the idea of leadership paradoxes. So jumping back in, a quick review of what is a paradox. We talked about the first four last time. If you missed last month's podcast, I highly recommend you go back and catch up. And then we will jump in with paradox number five. But real quick, what is the leadership paradox? And what drove you to write this book? Well, a leadership paradox is the need for a leader to display seemingly contradictory behaviors or attitudes or um, words that you think those couldn't go together at two different times during the day or maybe even blended, and yet they need to. To work today in this particular season of world history, I think leaders stand above the others. They become differentiated because they display paradoxes. So the thing I keep preaching is... I think great leadership is timeless principles 
that help guide our decisions and timely paradoxes that guide our interactions. Well, I'll say that one more time. Okay. Timely. Timeless principles that guide our decisions. Right. And timely paradoxes that guide our interactions. Wow. That's what great leadership is, I think, today. And so when we talk about a paradox, there's a built-in tension. Yeah. We're accustomed to going to either or. Yeah. We, we, as much as we know that's not the way the world works, we our yeah. brains just go, it's either or. Yeah. This is both and. It's when we talk about a paradox, it's not so much a continuum of we're trying to find the balance between these two. Yeah. What we're discovering is that we need all of both yeah. and both of all. And the leaders who understand this and learn to flow with it really is kind of a dance because sometimes yeah. you need a little of one, you need a little of the other. As we talk about these paradoxes, as we talked about it last month, we are naturally bent in one direction, yeah. but to become blind to the other side, or the flip side of the paradox is to lose something in our leadership. So the value of this book and these two conversations is really just keeping these things in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. And so, because we know our natural inclination and when we're aware of our blind spots and we can keep them in front of us, when people call us out on them, we say, oh, you're right, as opposed to what are you talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. I have noticed in myself as I've attempted to embody these, I'm much savvier and wiser uh, again, like I said last time, reading the situation before I lead the situation, uh, I'm playing chess, not checkers. You know, I'm, I'm saying, ooh, I got a bishop here, and they're going to need to move this way. So I, what they need from me is humility right now, not confidence or confidence, not humility. So I think it's having the tools in our arsenal, which we clearly need to build. But Andy, here's, here's what makes this really fun. What I'm describing is not some far out business strategy or methodology or marketing plan. It's social and emotional skills. It's, you know, social intelligence and emotional intelligence have been a hot button yep. since 1995 when Daniel Goleman wrote the book Emotional Intelligence. Um, I think today there's a greater need for them than ever. I think it's soft skills, not just hard skills that differentiate leaders. And the good news is we can, our IQ doesn't change very much. Our EQ can be developed, thank mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. And so this is about developing those and skills. And EQ is generally the greatest predictor of That's success, right. right? Absolutely. You know what I tell students when I'm in front of college students? I often say, and this is not science, but it's just me. I say, you know what? Success in school is 75% IQ, 25% EQ. You get out in your career, it's just the opposite. It's the opposite. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we talked about the, the first four, so we're not going to review those. We're going to jump in right into number okay. five. So the fifth leadership. Let me And let me say one more thing. Okay. Sorry, before we okay, jump in. Okay, that's all right. To put this in context, every to everybody listening, the conversation can feel a little academic, but the truth is, if you think about the best boss you've ever had, mm. they were doing this intuitively. Wouldn't that's you agree? Absolutely. They didn't have the words, but if they were listening to this yeah. conversation, they would say, oh, yeah. That, of course. I didn't have words yeah. for that, but that's what I do. I'm in the moment. I know my strengths, which means I'm aware of my weaknesses. I know where I tend to slide on these paradoxes, but they're both important. It's yeah. not either or, it's both and. So we have all experienced yes. this. Yes. And when we experience it, we come away from the experience feeling like I trust that person. Mm -hmm. I would follow that person. Mm -hmm. um, they're not pretending. They're yep. authentic. Yeah. They're strong and they're confident. You know, they That's have right. a vision, but they listen. Yes. And, yeah. and we experience it as they're just isn't she great? You know, yeah, isn't yeah. he great? We don't know exactly That's what right. it is. We can't is. put our finger on no, why. No, you cannot yeah. put your finger on it, but it is so powerful. And the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. In fact, as we go through these next four in particular, I think 
when you think about the worst boss you've yeah. ever had or the worst manager, you'll find yourself thinking, yeah, they were all of one mm-hmm. and none of the other. So anyway, let's let's jump well, in. Do you this mind so if I volley back on that real quick? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. In my when I was writing the book, I studied leaders through the centuries. I mean, not just last 20th century or 19th or 18th. And I know there's all kinds of listeners in this podcast, maybe not all faith-based, but if you look at the life of Christ, humble and confident. In fact, he even said, I'm humble, I'm humble and meek of heart. But yet, oh my gosh, he is set his face like flint toward yeah. Jerusalem. Yeah, he looks at Pilate. Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power yeah. to, to spare you or to execute you? And he's like, no, you don't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so true. Yeah, I'm the governor of Syria. Yeah, I know, but you don't have that. It's so much It's confidence. so true. Yeah. So as I looked at all eight of these and I looked at the Gospels, it's powerful to see as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, oh my gosh, confident and humble, stubborn and Oh, it was it was so much fun. I had a new epiphany and a new appreciation wow. for the Savior who did this yeah. so brilliantly. It's amazing. Okay. Number five. Number five. I believe these paradoxical leaders are both deeply personal and inherently collective. So deeply personal. It feels like this is just for me, mm-hmm. and they seem to be speaking to me, and yet inherently collective. So let me give my case study and then we can kind of build it out from there. It was fun to study people that did this well, but my favorite was Mother Teresa of Calcutta. So she passed away in 1997, I believe it was, and her death was so close to Princess Di's. The same day. She was overshadowed. Right. Yeah, crazy. So, you know, Mother Teresa was in Calcutta. She had this amazing work. She ended up being so amazing in her work with the poor and the lepers and and those who had tuberculosis that she gave speeches at Harvard and talked to presidents of the United States. Just amazing. But if you met her, Oh my gosh, she was this deeply personal. She never left the work. In fact, the the sisters of charity said she came in daily, unless she was out of town, came in daily and held babies. And if one was dying, she'd say, make sure this one feels loved before it goes. So, I mean, she never left the personal, but that made her more effective as she was raising dollars and one day went to a businessman who was selling his property and his building. And she said, there's a few individuals in Calcutta that need your help. And she told a story. She ended up getting him to donate the building, the property, the Mm -hmm. whole thing. So great. These great leaders know how to, this is about community. By the way, all of these are topical. This is the paradox of communication, that when I speak, I'm deeply personal. Andy, I'm going to make you, I'm going to embarrass you. People say this about you. I've said this about you. I felt like Andy was talking to me today. Andy was talking to tens of thousands of people. It's because you know what I'm feeling. You know, even though you don't know all of our names. And yet you got the big picture. Well, I generally am preaching to you, Tim. So yeah. that's probably why you, <laughs> that's the problem. you feel that. Yeah. You but say, anyway. Sandra, don't tell him, but I'm talking to Elmore. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've heard communicators, you go, oh my gosh, they were, they were reading my mail. Mm-hmm. They were reading my mail. Mm-hmm. So deeply personal, inherently collective. I'll tell you another good example. I know he's very controversial today, perhaps, but back at September 11, 2001, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York City. We watched him leading the New York Fire Department, Police Department, telling everybody what to do and where to go. And then he's attending a funeral saying, oh, we're going to miss Bob. We're going to miss Bob so much. He was like a chaplain and then a coach. So I think great communicators, and this is the paradox of communication, is they can really do both. People say, I think he understands me. He gets me. And yet collective. They see the big picture. Um, I just read a story that you might have read, but Andy got to tell the story. FDR was a great example of this. 
So he was the only president in our history that was elected four times. And he led through some of the toughest part of American history, the Great Depression, World War II. But when he passed away, he had been having these fireside chats and casting vision for how we're going to make it. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. When he passes away, you can imagine there were thousands of American citizens lined up as the casket was walked by. One gentleman looked at the casket and dropped to his knees and sobbed. When another one picked him up and said, oh, did you know the president? The man said, no, but he knew me. Isn't that powerful? I know, I know. That's what a collective personal, uh, Mm. they they get the big picture. They're going to lead us out of this mess, but I feel like he knows what I'm going through. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think we should just close. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The teacher... And the learner. Yeah, this is, a, this is one we hear a lot, lifelong learner. We need to be lifelong learners, but I don't know if it's ever been more true than it is today. So leaders have to be teachers. We've got to share the latest information we have. We need to cast vision. We need to communicate to our teams. So I think we need to be teachers, but I, I believe we've just got to not ever get to the point where we think, okay, I, I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. Yep. So my illustration on this one is Angela Arents. You have met her, haven't mm-hmm. you? Angela was the one who, I think way back in 2006, was asked to move from the United States to England to take over Burberry coats, this high-end plaid yep. coat. Well, when she walked in, to make a long story short, she meets her fellow executives. That was struggling big time yes. when she came in. They were on a decline, it, well, not it an was incline. considered the old people's, yeah. what old people wore. Rich old ladies Rich buy old this ladies, coat. Yeah, yeah that's yep. true. So after she meets her fellow executives, she sets up meetings with her youngest team members. In fact, she literally said, I want the youngest team members, including the interns. And she said, we're not reaching your peers. What do we need to do? And she let them weigh in, Andy. And and, you know, you've heard the story. But what's cool about this is they came up with dozens of ideas. They were not missing any ideas at 25 years old. One of their ideas was called the Art of the Trench. And they said, why don't we have a page on the Burberry site, website, where we let our customers post pictures of themselves? Which remember in 2006, selfies were in and they like. Customers like to post pictures of themselves. Well, if you go to the, I think it's still up, you can look at the Art of the Trench, and it's mostly young customers wearing Burberry coats, which they had purchased, thank you very much, on the site. Well, the brand turned around and went on an incline. But what I love about this story, and is this. She turned conventional wisdom on its ear. Usually a CEO comes in, meets with the executive team, comes up with the ideas and tell the young people what to do. She met with the young people. You tell us what to do. These executives have the budget and the network and everything else will execute the plan. And boy, did it win. I mean, Mm. just grew the company and ended up getting hired by Apple. And it was just a crazy great story. But teacher and learner was her paradox. So we've talked about this before personally and and even on the podcast. This is a little bit of an aside. Why is it some leaders have such a hard time positioning themselves as learners? Because I don't Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. Yeah. And, And I just feel like there's so much more to know, and yet— Is learner one of your top five strengths? I don't know. Okay. Well, you are a good learner. You, you love to study, don't you? you well, love... I just feel like I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> honestly, not it's, it's not humility. That's yeah, like, yeah. oh, my goodness, what? There's so much more to oh, know. There's yeah. so much more to know. Yeah. And, and, and as soon as a, a leader 
stops learning or feels like I've got this, yeah. they immediately put a, a lid, to use the John mm-hmm. Maxwell term, yeah. they put a yeah. lid on their own leadership and yeah. generally on, a lid on the people around them because yeah. anybody that tries to learn past them yeah. is seen as a threat or viewed as a threat. Yeah. So, what, well, that may inside? be it right there. I think what's happened to me after four decades of in a career is this. I do love to learn, but I think my past is bigger than my future at this point, probably, maybe at least Mm -hmm. career-wise. And I'm thinking, gosh, I've accumulated all this. It's worked for me in the past. And I have this intuitive sense, even though it's wrong. Well, let's just do more of that. Yep. Maybe yep. speed and volume will help, you know, and 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 you and I <laughs> yeah. both know that's, yeah, that's speed not and gonna, volume, yeah. yeah, in the wrong direction. Very effective. <laughs> yes, try that at home. But yeah. isn't that a baby boomer idea? It speed is and volume. Such speed and volume. A baby boomer idea. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's my problem, and I I have to be. Even though I wrote this, I have to be. I have to read my own stuff because this is right. I don't always get it but I know I need to get it. Wow. Yeah. All right. Hey, before we continue this, real quick to all of our um, podcast listeners, as I mentioned at the top of our broadcast today, our sponsor, Belay, is offering a free download of their CEO's latest book. It's entitled Rise Up and Lead Well. In this book, she shares everything she's learned in her journey from, and this is what makes the book so valuable, from administrative assistant in the company to the CEO of the company. So she knows what she's talking about. So wherever you are on the journey of creating leadership and creating a competent company that's engaged with your particular industry, this book will be extremely, extremely helpful. The way you can get it is just text Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. That's Andy to 55123 to receive your free copy today. So back to our conversation. Okay. The next one is, I believe paradoxical leaders model high standards and gracious forgiveness. Now, this is one I clearly see, okay, you got one or the other. Don't we both know leaders that are just about high standards? And they're the brands that take off, Google, Apple. I mean, they're just leading the way because they have this standard of excellence that nobody else can touch. But I think the great leaders that keep people have also a gracious forgiveness for those team members that tried to hit the goal and could not hit the goal. So here's why this is so powerful. If you only have high standards— that's all, no, no forgiveness. Team members are not going to want to take a risk because, good God, I'll get fired if I take a risk and then I fail. So you have people that hold back. If you only have gracious forgiveness and not high standards, you never get the best out of them. Oh, right. He'll forgive me. One hour, I'm mediocre right. today. It's right. fine. I'll go to Starbucks. So I think two together, this high standard that they're calling you to, and then this gracious forgiveness. So here's some very interesting data. Um, this is about students, but not Ivy League schools got together. I mean, Princeton, Harvard, Brown, they got together and they're trying to find what would elicit the best effort from students once you turn, you gave them their paperback and said, you need to work on this again. What would get them to try harder? The phrase that they used that Harvard said was almost magical was this. I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations of you and I know you can reach them. That's personal and big picture. It's, it's that I, I, I just know you. I know you can do this. So um, my case study on this one, Harriet Tubman, that great underground railroad pioneer. So in, you all remember American history, but she led hundreds of slaves out of slavery and into freedom. But you might know her story was, man, she had high standards. If you were one of those slaves and you started having second thoughts, which happened, oh, I don't know, hundreds of times mm-hmm. en route to the North, 
she'd hold a gun to their head and say, you're not leaving, buddy, because you'll give us all away and you know, we're all dead then. So she's holding a gun to their head. They go, okay, okay, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then she just graciously forgive them. She once was, she was beat on the head with a weight by a slave owner when she learned. And that later that day, she's praying for the person that beat her. So I'm thinking, how do you do this? Well, she had this, this is what ought to be, high standard. But I know to keep my people, I got to keep forgiving their attempts that fail. Wow. And that's that's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, while you're telling that story, I don't remember much about college specifically. Um, <laughs> that's probably another whole podcast. Yeah, yes, but anyway, <laughs> I don't remember a lot about college, specifically interactions with teachers. Yeah. Yes. But there's one that stands out mm-hmm. and it, it illustrates this. I was in a, I had a speech class. It was a, a um a second level speech class. Yeah. And uh, we all did those silly speeches in front of the class. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there and, and I'm good. And these other folks, I'm, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I get a, a grade back on a, a, you know, you turn in an outline yeah. speech. And I got it. I remember it was in red ink, B minus. It wasn't even oh. a number. It was a B minus. I thought, what? Huh. Yeah. Dr. Rifkin. Well, I remember his name. It was our professor. <laughs> and I waited for everybody to leave. Yeah. And I went up. I said, Dr. Rifkin. I mean, I, I try not to have an attitude, but yeah. I'm sure my attitude was like, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and here's what he said. He said, you can do better. Yeah. Yeah. He said, you can do better. Mm-hmm. So he graded me low, lower than I thought I deserved. Yes. But keep the standard high. And he just looked at me and said, you can do better. Wow. That's what I remember. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't know that I can tell you any other yes. conversation I had with a professor yeah. in college. Yeah. But that's the power of that. I'm going to hold you to a high standard and I'm going to believe in you at the same time. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Andy, can I tell one more quick story? You just reminded me of it when you told that story. So the habitude I share in this particular chapter is the Golden Gate Paradox. And it's about the Golden Gate Bridge built in the throes of the Great Depression. 1933, it started. So because it was a Great Depression, a whole bunch of people lined up to get work to be a builder of that bridge. But most of them weren't engineers. Most of them didn't know what the heck they were doing. So they get up there and they're scared of falling, as you can imagine, they would be. So work slowed down. They were working really slow. They thought, what if I fall? And so Mr. Strauss, who was the leader, the general contractor, I suppose, of the building of the bridge, met with the key builders, and he decided, I'm going to stop the work, and I'm going to put a big safety net underneath the bridge. The whole bridge? Yeah. So, well, they moved it along the way, but wherever they were working, it was a safety net. So, it was well over $300,000, which back then would be like millions today. And he thought, if I do this, we're not going to end on time. We're not going to meet the deadline, and we're not going to meet the budget because, yeah, it's just not going to happen. I'm spending all this money. It was just the opposite. Here's what he found out. When I put the net below them, they could focus on their success, not their survival. Now they're building faster because they don't have to worry about falling. Nineteen guys fell, and they bopped off the net, got back up there, and started. Do you see what I'm saying? Wow. This is what leaders do. High standards. Here's the deadline. Here's the budget. But you're going to have a safety net if you fall. And so that's going to just make you work better in the end. And— organizational life, the way this plays out when it plays out well, oftentimes is through symbolic leadership and storytelling mm-hmm. yeah. because there's not a physical net people can yeah, that's see. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah. this uh, two days ago, I interviewed a leader with a segment of our staff and he told a story about a woman in his organization that made a $200,000 mistake, mm. cost them $200,000. And he called her. Oh, he, she knew he was going to call. She was at home. She was crying. And when she answered the phone, 
she said, I know why you're calling. I understand, expecting to be fired. And he didn't. Yeah. And I wish I could quote what he said. It was so powerful mm. about basically he said, here's what we have in common. We've both made mistakes. Mm. And neither of us know anyone who's never made a mistake. Oh, that's so good. So what happens in a situation like that is that story circulates because everybody yeah. knows. Oh. She shows up yeah. at the office, you know, what happened? And these are private conversations. Yeah. And she says, he forgave me, you know, we're yeah. moving on. Well, that becomes, you don't see that safety right. net, but, but people know it's there. Mm-hmm. And if it was there for her, it's probably yeah. there for me. I can focus on my success, not my survival. And I don't have to hide my mistakes. Yeah. You know, I want my boss to hear it from me before he finds out about it, before she finds out yeah. about it. So that grace and high standards thing, um, the way those of us in leadership respond to a personal failure or, you know, somebody who doesn't you know, yeah. reach the standard. It has a ripple effect that can be used to our advantage. But if we power up and mm-hmm. bow up, and I'm going to make an example yep. out of you, everybody's concerned about safety. They can't yeah. be concerned to your to point about success. So Both stories are legendary. They are legendary. <laughs> and our initial response, I mean, the, our facial expressions, our yeah. body language, it is so mm-hmm. critical yep. in those moments. Anyway, last one. The last of the eight paradoxes is paradoxical leaders are both timely and timeless. My example here was, again, I know I keep saying it, it was so much fun to study, but it was Walt Disney. So if you go to Disneyland, anybody that goes to Disneyland know the whole theme park is divided into timely and timeless. There's one side of the park that's Adventureland, Frontierland, Hall of President, you know, that, that sort of, it's all looking backwards, timeless, timeless American virtues and values. But then there's timely. There's galaxies and there's Tomorrowland. And there's, in fact, the original brochure of Disneyland said, nothing of the present exists. It's all yesterday and tomorrow. That's what great leaders, they build off of history. What, what's the heritage of our organization? Why do we exist? What were we trying to accomplish? What problem were we trying to solve? So they're timeless in let's not leave the core mission. Mm-hmm. But then they're timely in, all right, what new problems exist today? Is there a new iteration that needs to be you know, uh, performed or adapted? So this Disney just was so able to balance this brilliantly that I felt like he was a classic example of, of timely and timeless. One example of this is Disney was doing television shows on one major network And another network called and said, we'd like to hire you for our network, and we want to do a show called The Wonderful World of Color with Walt Disney. You might remember that show. that It was a Sunday night program. So he switched—I won't even name the networks. He switches networks. The reason they wanted to do that is because color TVs had just come out, and the parent company was RCA, who made a bunch of TVs. So they said, if your show comes on in color— you know, so all the show was about was these timeless values of American. We love America, you know, that right. sort of thing. But it was color TV and it was animation and it was this, that, and the other, all these technological robotics type of things going on. So he combined the two. Television sets soared because Walt Disney was the pioneer of the color TV in, in that particular network. It was just amazing how he did this. Yeah, so leveraging the past but not living there. Yes. Pointing yes. toward the future, but not disengaging from core principles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's attention. Yeah. 
Tim, there is so much uh, to digest just in this conversation. For those of you who missed last month's episode, you really need to go back to hear the first two leadership paradoxes. But wrapping up, what's what's the big takeaway? Because again, there's no way to carry all this front and center every single day. Yeah, yeah. But there's a there's an overarching message that again, great leaders get this somewhat intuitively. Yeah, yeah. Not so great leaders, they're missing it. So what what should we leave here with? I guess the thought I would want listeners to leave with is this is doable for everyone. This is not a talent that you may or may not have. It's not an IQ level that you may or may not have. It's not a skill set. Well, I guess it is a skill set, but um, I, I mentioned earlier, it's all about social and emotional intelligence. And these are um, attainable skill sets. So it's about my self-awareness. It's about my self-management, managing my own emotions. It's about social awareness and relationship management. Every leader who has a group of people that are following needs to build these. I think we have a misnomer sometimes. Well, once I reach a, a position of power, I won't need those. I'll, they'll just do what I tell you to do. And, and you and I both know that's not true. That may be true in the military. You follow your CO, but everywhere else, I think they're voting with their feet. They're resigning. They're whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I think for me, this has been especially helpful because even though I've studied emotional intelligence now for years, I'm at a place at Growing Leaders, the organization that I lead, where I'm now in succession planning with our board, and they're thinking about days after Tim, which they may sing, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. I don't know, but um, we're now thinking about how do I get thought leaders ready? You can't just make them up, but you can prepare people. So I'm thinking about Dr. King. How did he get you know, uh, Andrew Young ready, you know, or whatever. Uh, I'm thinking about Walt Disney, timely and timeless. So there are meetings now, as I mentioned before, that I'm not going to. In fact, I specifically started in July of this year, not going to the leadership team meeting. And I founded it, but I'm thinking they're going to have freedom. If they ever need me, they know where I am. I'm in the building. I'm probably meeting with a team member, but I'm, I'm being out of that meeting. So I need the invisible thing now, not the visible thing. Um, I'm learning that there's a power gap sometimes between the youngest employees and me. I don't think I'm an intimidating person, but sometimes just, oh God, it's the founder and he wrote the book, you know, you know. And so I don't know if I should say anything. So I'm trying to build relationships with the young team members at Growing Leaders and try to be one of the, one of the guys. So you know? essentially your awareness of these tensions and these yeah, paradoxes yeah. is informing yeah. your current posture. Yes. And every leader has a posture in the organization and there's a perception. It's the posture we try to maintain and then there's the perception. Yes, yeah. So recognizing that we're, again, we're on a continuum. We're not trying to balance anything. We're just trying to, you know, pull the proper lever at the proper time with the yeah. right, with, you know, specific people with specific yeah. situations. So just keeping these front and center at, at, at some level. Is, yes. And for me, when I first heard you present this and then I read the book and then even in this conversation, you know, there were two or three of the eight that I feel like are most, they're all true, but are most important to me right mm -hmm. now. So yeah. I would say to our podcast listeners, if you get the book or if you, again, you review these eight through our conversation, the one or two where you kind of feel like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's me. Those are the one or two you probably need to pay most attention to because you're feeling that tension yeah. and you can't resolve the tension. You just have to live in it because yeah. these are 
paradox. You're right. So this is a HarperCollins book and a John Maxwell imprint. They've actually created a quiz that people can take for free and see where you're strong and where you're not oh, wow. so strong in these eight paradoxes. So that might even be a helpful tool that's Absolutely. free. Well, that's a great idea and an extraordinary tool. In fact, let's include all of that in the show notes if we can. That would be fantastic. Hey, Tim, this has been amazing and it's great seeing you as always. And to all of our podcast listeners, we want to thank you for joining us and invite you to check out Tim's new book, The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership, wherever books are sold. And while you're there, look for his Habitudes books as well. And be sure to visit andystanley.com where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of our discussion. There'll be questions there for reflection as you lead your team through some of these extraordinary, extraordinary paradoxes. And of course, join us next month on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, and we will see you then.